0: Hello, Terrell Pickle, episode one fifty four. We talk Super Bowl facing Josh Hader. We had an intern sign with a with a MLB org and Joe Maurer, Hall of Famer. Chris has got some stories. Check it out. Peltero Pickle episode 154. We had a couple week hiatus, almost a month hiatus now. Uh, but we're back. We're ready to go with all your uh, volcanic hot takes here with Pelotero Pickle. I'm Bobby Tewksbury. Joining me is Chris Colabello. Before we get started, a reminder to send us your questions, topics, concerns to pickle at Peltero.com or find us on social at Pelotero app, at Pelotero Pickle, at Tukes hitting at CC20 Rake. If you listen to the show, you probably know where to find us. Uh, we're going to kick things off with a little Super Bowl discussion—the Taylor Swift Bowl, the the Super Bowl. Uh, Chris, what do you got on the uh, what do you got on the Super Bowl? Tough to bet against uh, Mahomes. Really tough to get a to bet against Mahomes.
1: Yeah, I don't. Uh, I didn't have an opinion about the Super Bowl. I didn't feel very strongly about football in general.
0: You you've been like um, anti football since Brady. Care
1: about the Taylor's?
0: Ever since Brady's out, you're out. Yeah,
1: I, d- I didn't care about the Taylor Swift situation. I didn't care about any of it. I, the the Super Bowl is the only game I watched all year. Literally the only one, and I wanted the Niners to win because I'm I want to be Team Brock Purdy.
0: Uh, so Todd Carroll, friend of the program. We can say friend of the program, right? Any CBL coaching legend, Todd Carroll for the Mariners now. He said uh he he wants to hate Mahomes, but he keeps doing things like this, which he had an interview talking about being very humble, talking about, you know, looking at what Brady did and learning from Brady. I feel like Mahomes is like Jeter to New England fans, which is weird because there's no rivalry. So it's like a weird analogy. I want to get your take on it. Because I felt like as a Growing up in New England, you're supposed to hate the Yankees. That's kind of like part of the culture. I always liked Jeter because he's a winner and he played the game right, and he was just a, he's a good player. He's like if he was on the Red Sox, you would love him, but he's on a different team, you're supposed to hate him. But Jeter to me transcended the the rivalry, and it's kind of like you have to respect him and you have to appreciate how he goes about his business. I feel like Mahomes is the same way. Where before Brady got him twice, right? He's two two and zero in the playoffs against him but he's now doing what Brady did, so it's like a threat to Brady's legacy in a way, but you got to respect him because he's so damn good.
1: I don't think I think of it as a threat to Brady's legacy, to be honest with you. Um, it, there's part of me, I, I, I loved Patrick Mahomes in college. I think I just more dislike Kansas City as a whole. Um, realistically, I just I, there's part of me that, like, I, I don't know. I just there's something about them, and I, I like winners. I like guys that win, and they were kind of the underdog this year too. The whole the whole year a little bit, but it's it's always hard when you make the 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 champion the underdog, right? It's, it never really quite feels that way because there's that pedigree and that that ability to win and that know how to win that basically like. You can't. You can never replace that, right, guys? That have been there, that experience. It's the same thing you said about the Yankees. So, it, they're just it, there. There was a line in a movie uh, or an entourage: "Once a star, always a threat," um, because they can go find greatness when they need it, and they just understand how to manage the game. Once
0: a star, always a threat is a great line because players that players that know how to be great or have been great before they know what it takes. One of my one of my, I've I've adopted this life motto recently. Like if you could do it, you'd be doing it. If you could do it, you'd be doing it. Like if you were so good, then you would be good. Period. You wouldn't be talking about how good you could be. You would just be good. Um, Chris, I want to hear what what Armstrong said about Jordan.
1: Yeah. So so B J said Jordan was playing a different game than everybody else at one point. Right. He he realized that he could basically do anything on the floor and all he was trying to do is just like figure out how to move the chess pieces to win the game right he it it became less about his performance and more about just understanding the moment understanding how to execute the right play at the right time and if you look at the if you look at the the mahomes fourth and one right which seemed daunting at the time and you see you would have seen so many teams scramble in that moment but the, the great ones, they just navigate the football game, right? They navigate the basketball game. They just – it's like the first – in basketball, like the first, it's like the first 46 minutes are going to be status quo. Like if Jordan needed to go for 40 to keep it close, he was going to do it. The same way if Brady needed to go for 500 yards against the Eagles, he was going to do it just to keep the game close so that he had a chance to win it at the end, right? The first 58 minutes or the first 60 minutes of that football game – they were almost they were almost it was a good game the Niners controlled the whole first half as they weren't able to separate the game I just kept I kept telling people that I was texting with during the game if they don't get a two score lead like and then some and hold it like you have to be outside of uh, of of the range of threat they they beat them so handily in the first half that you just could feel that Mahomes was going to win the game. And if I was a betting man, I would have slammed Kansas City, uh, especially when it got to overtime. But and that even have you read the stories about how the Niners didn't even know the overtime rules? They they, they literally didn't know the overtime rules. Like what a joke! Like it, preparation, man.
0: They literally did not know. I didn't. I didn't know what was going on. But I don't. <laughs> I'm not in the Super Bowl. I'm sitting on my couch, trying to figure out why they're not calling timeouts at the end of the, the overtime. So I'm thinking this game's about to end. I th- what is the rule now? What is that? I don't even know what the rule is. If you score a touchdown, is the game not over now? But, both teams have yeah. a chance?
1: So they changed it for the playoffs where both teams get the ball no matter what. The only way, a sing- like if the if the first team turns it over and the other team kicks a field goal or scores a touchdown, pick six, whatever, <laughs> you're done. So basically the, sec- the, the the team that doesn't get the ball is guaranteed a possession is the rule. And it doesn't matter if the clock runs out on them. None of that matters. I, I just didn't understand the strategy in the second half. It's the same thing they did two Super Bowls ago when they lost. It just felt like a team that was – it it felt like somebody playing against the Patriots, I right? And I just don't understand – I think the thing I get more annoyed about is why more more players don't play or more teams don't play like the Chiefs are now, like the Patriots did forever because it, it, it really what it comes down to is preparation. Brady did a, a really cool interview with, uh, with Steve Young recently where he, and, and I think it's similar to what we feel about hitting. He's talking about how quarterbacks aren't doing the thing that they need to do to be good, right? Which is ultimately out prepare the other guy, be ready to read the formations. Like in, in the interview with Young, Brady was talking about how it becomes pretty obvious when you're and this is more for guys that are doing it I'm not talking about me um, certain certain concepts work against certain formations right on defense if you read cover two, all those cross all those crossing routes just they're not they're not going to be good right they're gonna be really tight lanes to throw to. Um, if you see blitz, you've got to you've got to adjust the coverage, and that that was the stuff that I think made guys that were not as athletically gifted, like Tom Brady and Peyton Manning. And Manning, by all accounts, was a, a pretty good quarterback his whole life, right? Strong arm, all the, the characteristics. But now you combine elite athleticism for Mahomes and the ability to get away with a bunch of stuff with that same. Brady and Manning characteristic. And and you've got a guy who's really special. You know, I was looking through a list of quarterbacks last night who I think are supposed to be really good. And they're just not because they don't do that thing. And it, 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 it alludes to the fact, and as you can relate it to hitting, we're focused on the wrong stuff in development. And we're just letting people with athleticism get away with being athletic. And then the game becomes daunting at some point and you go, why am I not as good as I think I'm supposed to be?
0: I've had uh, quite a few thoughts recently about this, about let me start here. If you think the reason that your timing is bad is because your bat speed's not high, then you're going to work on your bat speed and then you're not going to fix the real problem. If you think you're making bad swing decisions because you don't have enough time to wait and you think quickness is the thing, you're going to work on improving your quickness and you're not going to solve the actual problem. People that are developing swing methods... And creating systems right now, they're building stuff based on wrong information. They're overvaluing certain aspects of the swing or certain elements and characteristics because that's what they think is right. And they're building like if you are building your your system around bat speed, you don't get it. Like you don't you don't get what hitting is. Doesn't mean that bat speed is going to hurt you necessarily, but you are not going to become a, a great hitter because you improve your bat speed. Like your bat speed should well, be built thing, within hitting not build bat speed and then learn how to hit with it
1: the, th- the things that i would allude to are and, and i uh, this is similar to the machine stuff and i know we're kind of off topic cuz we're supposed to talk about usher and we'll get to that we're on topic i but actually but i got a I dm this, about your machine is, tweet so this is keep going. this is good so but it's the same it's the same thing and and i think it's a it's a really simple answer to say, is it working? Well, hitting is not better than it was 50 years ago. So guess what? You don't need to train velocity to hit velocity. You just don't. Like, you don't need to train bat speed to have bat speed. The 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 concepts we're talking about here are about, and, and I always go back to this, is, is it good enough, right? Is it good enough? Can you execute this against that if you face a 90 mile an hour fastball, can you get to it? Right. And, and it's so much more about your eyes and your decision-making than it is about the speed at which you do it. Cause once you cross a certain barrier, you're good. The same way I talk about the velocity thing, right? Think about how many times in your life there was, there was one of those thresholds to get to, right? It was 80, 85, 90, 90, 95, right? Every time, you felt threatened by it, right? Because it was a number. And and we get threatened by these numbers and these metrics. And, and then all of a sudden you face it and you go, it wasn't really as bad as I thought it was going to be. And I didn't really have that much trouble getting to it. It was more about like putting a good swing on it. And this, and I don't know if you saw the Bobby Magallanes thing, friend of the program, Bobby Magallanes, Braves hitting coach, she was talking about Ozuna this year, struggling to start. And then one day they were facing Zach Wheeler, who throws a hundred and usually like the thought process is put the machine on fast and Ozuna was like no slow it down he's like put it on slow I need to have he's like I'm rushing through my swing with the machine on fast I get defensive he's like put it on slow and then he hit 40 homers so like I just don't understand why people are so short-sighted and I guess it comes down to experience and feeling these things and if you've never felt them you probably just don't know, but I don't. The, the thing that, that I get mad about is when, when people ultimately get arrogant about it. Right? They get arrogant on the other side. The people that don't know want to be like, "Oh, well, this isn't real." And I'm like, "Dude, the guy keeps winning. <laughs> this relates to homes. The guy just keeps putting himself in a position to win. Oh, Brady's not that good. Well, why is he in the in Super Bowl every time? Why did he play in ten Super Bowls? Why did he win seven of them? Like, you can't just it's not just happenstance and then you just make these bullshit arguments about it being his defense and his coach and this and that and it's like the guy knows how to rally people around him the the same it's the jordan effect right he's playing a different game he knows how to keep the game close he knows how to get to where he needs to go it doesn't matter what seed he is he going in the playoffs once a star always a threat once a star always a threat they just know how to win that's a thing it's real and it's the same thing in hitting it probably shows up in hitting more than anywhere else. If you know how to get hits, you're going to figure out how to get hits, regardless of what weapon you're bringing up the home plate.
0: There's a the Facebook group, like the, what whatever that group is that people, the instruction, whatever group, you know, which one I'm talking about the typically. Yeah. So this kid, the dad put up a, a thing of his kid swinging. He's like eight years old, pretty good little swing, just raking. just hitting lineas, right? So all I commented was just try to get him out. Like just, this is the Boba Shet effect. Uh, <laughs> um, just try to get him out. And it, I said, if, if he falls in love with not letting dad get him out, he's gonna. that's going to translate. He needs to fall in love with not getting out. Like don't let the person trying to get you out, get you out. That's the game. And yeah, we can improve our swing to make that happen. We can work on our timing, work on our bat speed, blah, 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 blah. blah. Yeah, all that. But if it's not rooted and don't let this guy get me out, you're just missed you're missing the the point of it all like oh you want to build a swing that's the quickest swing possible well it's causing you to make outs so what are we what are we actually talking about oh you want to increase your bat speed great the number's higher but your swing takes longer to execute and you're trying to do everything to the pole side you're wildly exposed good job you just increase your bat speed you didn't become a better hitter you improved your bat speed they are not the same thing the uh yeah. The DM really. I got was your post. It was like, you know, the whole better part of six years to understand how to, how to hit a sinker, blah, blah, blah. Somebody wrote, somebody I really respect wrote, can you explain this better? Confused me a bit. Is he saying training off machines isn't important? All I wrote back was, machines don't teach you how to hit. Like they can make you comfortable with facing velocity, more comfortable. Like, great. The ball's flying at you. Great. The, you Stick a foam ball in there now. You now you're going to learn how to get on top of it. Great. Is it teaching how to hit? Do you, do you step into the box with a plan because of that, or are you? Do you just know how to hit a ball from machine now? What what has changed? Because there's there, there, no arm coming forward. If you're just going machine ball, machine ball, machine ball, foam ball. Excuse me, riding pitch to the top of the zone, one after another after another. You better get good at that. That's not the challenge. The challenge is being able to do that when you don't know it's coming or having enough conviction to sit on that pitch and if you strike out otherwise you took your chances and you understood you understood that you had a plan and you stuck to your plan. But it doesn't make you a better hitter. It just gives you a different tool to take with you. If you can't apply that tool, it doesn't matter.
1: Yeah, it's uh the the threats that the game presents are are so they're so deep right and i think that's why you look at hitters 50 60 40 70 years ago the guys that got good were the ones that just figured it out and and it's not a it, it, it's almost like society doesn't it's not a good enough answer it's not trust your eyes trust your instincts trust your brain trust your feels and, and again if I don't understand why we're not running the race in parallel. Like there's going to there's never going to be a shortcut to being a good hitter. The same way there's never going to be a shortcut to being Patrick Mahomes. And if you don't work on your intuition, you don't work on your 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 skills that go with that go with your skills, right? Like you, you have you have these physical characteristics. It's like you know, you're you're, you're Madden rating. You put like all your physical traits out there. What
0: makes Patrick Mahomes good? That's-
1: it's his ability to apply the stuff in real time <clears throat> when, it, when, it, when, it, when it's nitty gritty, when it's fourth and one, slow your heart rate down, be able to breathe in those moments because it doesn't matter how good your swing is or how good your arm angle is or how good your arm slot is or how tight your release is when it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter and it doesn't matter if you can't do it in real time doesn't matter if you can't apply the right swing to the right pitch. It doesn't matter if you can't re- apply the right arm slot to the right throw. So having the, having that bag of tricks is awesome. You can relate it to any sport. I have a great word for you.
0: So Brandon Brandon does jujitsu. He's there right now. Uh, Brandon's who I share the office with here <clears throat> for the listeners at home. So he Brandon uses the word dilemma when he talks about jujitsu. And I – I love it. A lot of people talk about problem solving right now. Problem solving kind of implies like you've got one thing you need to figure out. The the issue when he talks about jujitsu, the dilemma that's being created is like if you push, they might be thinking you're gonna push and they're gonna they're gonna receive you and you're playing into their what you want them to do. You could be passive, but they want you to be passive. So like you never know what the other person wants you to do. And if the other person's more advanced than you they're probably thinking ahead of you. So like you feel like you might be like sinking into a hold or something and they're like, Oh, thank you for doing exactly what I want you to do. I'm going to flip this on you and now you're screwed and I'm going to use way less energy. So the word dilemma, when I think about it with hitting, the dilemma is the guy throws hard and he's got a breaking ball. So now my timing either has to be like really, really quick or I have to be waiting and that gap makes it hard. The dilemma is the ball is going to sink over here. It's going to cut over there or it's going to ride high and it's going to sink low. Like you have have these different things that you have to face that are conflicting. So like solving a problem, yeah, Patrick Mahomes solves problems, but he's faced with many dilemmas. Like every time he's reading routes and like reading his coverages and whatnot, if he decides to go sidearm, like, yes, he's, he's afforded himself that option because of his training and because he's really, really good. Tom Brady couldn't do the stuff that Mahomes did. So it's understanding what you're capable of, and being able to apply that to conquer the dilemmas that you're facing. It's awesome. Like it's, uh, it's so fun dirt. to think of this is like this to me is a game. When we get like stuck in these swing mechanic debates on Twitter, it's like I'm trying to describe variations and one other person's being like no you're an idiot because your swing doesn't match Mike Trout. And I'm like, "Hey, I'm not trying to match I don't my body doesn't move like Mike Trout. Not even close. You want me to try to emulate him? I'll try to do it, but that's not why would I do that? My body's nothing like him. Com- like motor preference-wise, completely different. But like, oh, you you're going to attack me personally because I don't, my swing doesn't look a certain way. Cool, got it. Meanwhile, like we have an opportunity to help kids and actually talk about stuff that matters. It's amazing. It's what a what a world. Yeah. Like some Hi. of our group chats. Is this real Hi. life? Is this real? Life?
1: Is this real life? <laughs> I, I get uh, it's it's just amazing to me when it's the, the, a generation full of people that are just literally making shit up and because they read some stat line that said this is what matters and then they just get married to it and if you get married to any one thing you're already screwed so like go ahead man just just like go dive into a life riddled in mediocrity and let's be sitting here 30 years from now having the same tired ass conversations about Swing. I, Ferber called me the other night and he was like, he was like asking me about swing stuff. I said, Ferbs, if you're calling me 20 years from now and I'm still sitting in the same chair and we're still having the same conversations, I'll feel like such a disappointment because we didn't, again, if you really get to the root of it, we're not solving the problem. We're not really solving the problem. And it, It's like a full circle. Like we we had this generation of people that said, "Oh, you're playing too much. We need to train more." Everybody's like, "Train more, train more, train more." I'm like, "Dude, you train to win the game. You're training to win the game." Like, uh, talking about practice, talking about practice. This shit don't matter. I got guys. I got college players freaking out because the two weeks leading up to the season, they're not they're not hitting good in exhibition shit that's not going on their bubblegum card what are we doing like are you getting it done when the scoreboard's on that's what patrick's patrick mahomes does really well he figures out a way to make the scoreboard look good for him and all everything he did was built backwards from that it wasn't about how many arm slots he could throw from it was how do i win the game and then like those arm slots showed up that's that's the creativity. That's the the chess match. That's the figure out how to win. And then if you learn how to do that, you put yourself in positions to win more often. And then it doesn't it honestly doesn't matter what your skill set is. It doesn't matter what your ability is, because you just learn how to operate within the confines of what you have available.
0: Yeah, and I think that that is a, a an amazing point to make there because if we're talking about it specific to hitting. Like your swing is what your swing is when you get in the box any given day, period. Your swing is what your swing is. And if you try to operate outside of what that swing is capable of, or if you're not taking chances based on the limitations and and the, the dilemma the pitcher's facing giving you, like your swing is your swing every time you get in the box, for better or for worse. You have to go compete with that. And you can win if you stick to your plan. If the pitcher doesn't give you anything to hit, if the pitcher's good enough to not give you something you can win with, tip your cap. Hey, you beat me because I'm not good enough. You were better than me. Period. End of story. You beat me. And then you can go back to the drawing board and say, well, this is why I made those outs. It's not because of my bat speed. It's not because my swing wasn't quick enough. Because if you're sitting on a pitch and you get it, you should be able to hit it. Period. It's,
1: it's This is why... It's crazy. When I saw motor preferences for the first time, it hit me right in the face. I've told people about that. We've talked about it openly because all we're really doing, right. All we're really doing is allowing freedom to happen in development, right? We're giving you permission to do what you, your body wants to do. Like I've never, I've never felt more convicted about anything. Because if this seems like it was such an obvious thing to me, right? That like you should do what your body wants you to do because your body is telling you based on like sheer survival instincts, what what animals do, what the animal kingdom is all about and we are ultimately animals, right? Like you think like lions think about their technique or they think about getting the food like you know what I mean? They they just think about winning that battle, and then they they go backwards from there because when it when it when it comes down to it, the result of the game, right? If you look back into if you go to the animal kingdom, the result of the game is you get food or you don't, you survive or you don't, right? And that, that like the net net is, I have to win if I want to survive, right? And and we've just we've accommodated the world to be like backwards and now i I said the thing about training like training is important but like you have to train to win the game you have to train to position yourself to win the game because if not you you don't i don't want you on my team right because ultimately it's team sports and it's funny one of my men's leagues right now one of the guys said to me we have the most talented team in the league we're like one in seven guys are screaming at each other across the floor no communication guy gets hit yelling at the ref i'm like and i'm sitting on the bench i'm like I don't want to be here. This is terrible. This is This your
0: team or another team?
1: You can't. My team.
0: We need my some. Team. I need some leadership out of you. If that's going on,
1: I right, just go there for cardio. Man. Lead from the front, man. Just Lead from the, the front. Cardio. Lead by example. Yeah, I'm trying to by being not a put somebody idiot, up against the wall. But no, that's not happening. I <laughs> ain't we just my time.
0: bring some cotton candy and some some uh, some Starburst or something, and. Yeah. Like, hey guys, maybe bring some bring up bring some ice cream. Hey guys, no matter what no circling matter what happens back, today, we're gonna get way, some ice cream. <laughs> sir,
1: circling back to things to the ice cream, Usher was one of my favorites growing up. By the way, just side note, like I loved Usher. I so many bangers. Like that guy, and my wife made a comment and said Usher's so much better at dancing than he is at singing. And I was like, well, yeah, because he's the best dancer ever, right? Like he's literally. Of all R and B, rap, hip hop artists, like that guy flowed like crazy, and so I thought it was cool that he was getting he was getting the halftime show. I wish he would have gone. It was like it was this cornucopia of songs, like they just meshed everything together. And I wish he had had played some of them out. And I know that the halftime shows get like that. Um, I wasn't a big fan of the roller skates thing. I thought that was weird, although sick flow to be able to do your uh pseudo michael jackson moves on roller skates i didn't love the show but i was a big usher fan so i appreciated the fact that it was usher
0: it makes me feel old that ushers like because remember when we were younger and they would have like your parents musicians on all the throwbacks yeah like our generation is now the throwback
1: so we're old it happens we're old officially
0: it happens. in in Especially In twenty years, kid. we're gonna have Drake on there talking doing his stuff. Oh, that's funny. Uh, I'm not a I'm not I'm not like a huge Usher guy. I was never really like really big into Usher, but it's fine. He's got a couple of jams. I'm not gonna deny that. They just
1: got some bangers. Like we're talking like middle so school dances, bangers. like middle
0: school and high school dances. That's that's what it makes me think of. Or like bus rides to school jamming ninety four five. That's what it makes me think of.
1: The weirder part to me about musicians in general is, so I feel like like Usher, Eminem, Dre, Snoop, Jay-Z, I feel like they haven't dropped a song in 15 years, probably, 10 to 15 years. And these dudes are still like, savages but it's weird to me how like you're you're it's like you're from 20 to 30 seems to be like the the range of where you 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 do all your hits and then you just live off that and i guess i mean that's a testament to to their their skill set and then they become like producers or whatever they just end up being eps and getting their own labels and signing guys and make tons of money doing stuff like that and it's interesting like you don't you don't have like you only have to have like a short Actual musical career Like, When was the last time 50 Cent made a Made a record
0: He's doing like Vitamin water and stuff I don't know
1: A bunch of stuff He's doing like Just a huge Like a big time investor now Yeah Driving Uh Jay-Z
0: I got his discography up He went uh, In 2022 He had an album In 2017 He had an album 2013 2011 2009 we gotta go back for him. He's he's like college for me. That I think college with him, early two thousands.
1: Yeah, yeah. Moving on. It was good. Let's get to this Josh Hader thing. This is interesting. Yeah, I, I didn't even see your tweet about this. The, the tweet's
0: a little bit old. <coughs> uh, January twentieth. This is. The, I'm I'm glad Patrick put this on the show because I think. Nobody replied the way that I wanted them to at all. Um, I would make people swing and miss over in BP the entire time. That's what I would do. The question was, if your whole lineup had to face Josh Hader, how would you prepare the hitters? I would, I would teach, I would train them. If they made contact with the ball, they're doing it wrong. They should be literally swinging and missing over the baseball on purpose, because if they try to hit the ball, they're going to miss in the game. I wouldn't do high speed machine. I would literally just normal batting practice, aim over the ball, swing and miss over the ball on purpose. Entire roster that would be that would be batting practice, because where you think the ball is, it's like a weird it's a weird concept. I was thinking I want to, I tried to tweet this last night and I couldn't find the right wording, but essentially like when you go to pull the trigger, you're aiming in one spot. Right, one in in space and time, you are aiming basically in one spot. Is that a fair thing to say? Like, you are get as you are getting ready to swing, you are like, there is a spot that you are aiming for, as if the ball were on a tee. There is like you are you are directing the bat to that spot. Is it multiple spots? You are aiming for one spot, so there is only one spot you can aim for. That can change as like as you are reading the pitch, that can change, but ultimately you are aiming in one spot, and you can adjust a little bit. Within that, but ultimately, it's
1: one spot. Yeah, I think if you say you're aiming at an area, right? Like,
0: then the question becomes like then the question becomes like if you have a plan and you're looking in a zone, how much can that zone change? I mean, because we're we're essentially talking about like body angles and like if if you pull your hands tighter, if you let your hands out, or if you let your arm if you're pushing forward, there's only margin of error happens by mistake. You're not you're not trying to hit the ball out you're trying to hit the ball further out front, but the barrel's deep so you catch it. Like you hit balls behind you by accident sometimes because your bat path is good. You're not trying to do that. It's just you, you lucked into it because like you've created that luck. You've created the ability to do that. <clears throat> but if you're, if you have a player who's, who's consistently popping up, they're trying to hit the ball. Their aim is the ball. Is that fair? You guys are both texting right now. Nobody's looking at me. Yeah. If you have no, a player, if you have a player been, who's consistently missing under, they are trying to hit the ball and they're missing. So you have to change where they aim. Hitters who face Josh Hader, like the difference is if you do a high speed machine machine and the hitter knows it's riding, they're now aiming for that spot. So aiming for where you know it's gonna be versus aiming for where it's not gonna to be, to me, those are different things. Because in the moment when Josh Hader releases the ball, the instant thing that you're going to see out of your brain, you have to go. I'm going to swing above that. At some point, so, at some point, but, if you're doing like the riding foam ball in the machine, at some point you're just used to doing it. That becomes your new aim point.
1: This this goes directly into the <coughs> that I put up about. Fa- it's the same as facing a sinker, right? It's the, 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 the same things, and and the paradigm we're trying to solve for is. It's the first time in your life that your eyes and your brain aren't telling the same story. Your brain is telling you, I need to be do this. And your eyes are lying to you. They're lying. They're literally saying like, I think the ball is going to be here. Because hitting is ultimately reactive, right? Hitting is a reaction. If you look at, Playing quarterback, right? <clears throat> the thing we're, we're trying to accomplish is understand what the defense is doing. So why does the defense try to mask the defense? They're trying to lie to you so that you think it's something else. In hitting, the pitcher is trying to lie to you. That's what a slider is meant to do. It's what a changeup is meant to do. It's what a riding fastball does. It's what the sinker ball does. You think the ball is going to be in one spot based off of the things that you've built as characteristics of what hitting is. The ball is lying. (laughs) So as a hitter, you have to convince yourself ahead of time that that lie is happening in a 0.5 second window, 0.4 second window. And if you don't do that, you're never going to hit the guy unless your swing is is built to handle that dilemma, right? You can build a swing to handle a certain dilemma. The, the swing revolution became hit the ball in the air, lift the ball, blah, 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 blah. So guys were counteracting the sinker. They were counteracting things that had depth. They were counteracting the bottom of the zone. In 1976, when Nolan Ryan was thrown 142 miles an hour, guys were telling themselves to swing down Because they had to counteract the riding fastball. So, like, if Brian Dozier was facing Josh Hader, I'd be like, hey, Brian, go get him, man. You're good. Like, because you handle velocity at the top of the zone. Because your swing is built for it. Where if Aaron Judge was facing Josh Hader, I'd be like, Aaron, I'm going to need you to swing three baseballs above this. Like, and and the guys that are really, really elite hitters are the ones that are better at one than another, because everybody's better at one than another, but ultimately they know how to counteract the one that they're not as good at. They just know how to deal with it. Like Mike Trout had no chance against Shohei in the WBC. If he just kept throwing heaters, he had no chance. He he proved it. He was like, I can't get to the fastball. So every pitch, Mike Trout was trying to make an adjustment to try to get on top of it, because he's like throwing a 98 or 99 mile an hour fastball. That's what hitting is guys. Like, so if I was facing Josh Hader, I'd have to try to convince myself within the 10 seconds that I was walking off the home plate. And I saw that first fastball that I had to swing three balls above it. I would know it going into it. And to your point, like, can you practice it before the game challenge practicing facing Josh Hader before, before the game is you might have to face, uh, the complete opposite guy earlier in the game. Right? So if you just train one thing and you become one dimensional, Probably going to make outs against the other guys.
0: <laughs> I'm doing some research, some quick research. Judge is apparently one for one off hitter in his career with a homer. Happened nice. in 2017. It was a 1-0 changeup. And it was.
1: So he was probably swinging at a fastball and hit the changeup. It was
0: center cut. Center cut, 85, homer center. Probably should have thrown the fastball, Josh. What are we doing? <laughs> Why would you throw, Judge? It's <laughs> off down. Don't do that. Don't do that. Um, no, but it's 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 interesting because everything's fluid. Everything's dynamic, right? So if you're a guy who misses under everything and you work on it for a bunch, now your data is going to say that you're not missing under. So like what do you go back to normal, where you do miss under, like you have to adjust back down, because if you're like thinking of getting on top, you start getting grounders. Now you have to start working under again. <coughs> so it's always this like back and forth, up and down. Like you're it, the issue is we're trying to find the middle. You can miss forever on the top. You can miss forever on the bottom. There's there's only one square. There's only one perfect perfect. It's in the middle. So your your opportunity to miss both over and under, early and late, th- those those exist forever. There's only one perfect.
1: If he's such a good hitter, why doesn't he hit good? Love it.
0: All right. Uh, you got, a, an intern hooked up with a major league org. Happy, very happy for him. Nick. Good job. <clears throat> Smart kid. Um, playing experience, coding experience. It's kind of like a scouting advanced scouting type role. I think he's going to be great for it. Um, I was on a couple calls with multiple teams about kind of just during this, I was a reference. So I get to talk to some teams and some of the questions they asked. Um, it's just a lot of stuff about a lot of character stuff, a lot of work ethic stuff, a lot of knowledge stuff. Like how's he going to fit into the org? What's his personality like? Um, will he be able to stand up to veteran people was a question that I liked. Um, independent thought is he, uh, uh, self-motivated type person it was cool it was it was a fun process i'm, I'm really happy for him because it's what he wanted and um i think he's gonna thrive in an org you have any thoughts on that
1: yeah good job
0: so in the um, in the show notes it was want to work for a team any advice do good Any advice for those wanting to work for a team work on that side of the game <laughs> a lot of a lot of teams want you to be able to do some code. Um, I actually got a phone call this weekend about a team for a consulting role, and it was just like a very loose intro, like, "Hey, your name came up. Would you be interested?" And it would, it would greatly, greatly depend on scope because <laughs> we don't have a ton of time. But um, like, they're, the major league teams are trying to figure it out, and it's interesting being on the private side. I've never worked for a team. You've been in an org in a way that I haven't, but it's, it's always interesting to be on the private side where like, I don't have these imposed initiatives being put on me of like, this is what we need you to do. It, it's more from a, at least from a hitting side, it's more like go explore and try to find stuff, go find value, go figure out variations. Um, teams want that. They want independent thinkers. They want people that are going to think out. There's like a groupthink that happens. I think a lot of the time, or there's a huge tendency for there to be groupthink, where it's like, oh, we think this player is good, so we're going to draft them. And then if you if you are against that, it could be scary because you think like you're maybe you're going to get reprimanded or be disciplined in some capacity because like you don't fall in line or you're like afraid. Um, some of the interview questions they wanted they wanted you to like. Provide your opinion straight up. Like, don't tell me what you think is right. Tell me what you think. Cause it's like, there's going to be a decision made. Your, your voice is not the only one making that call. So you have to like be comfortable sharing your opinions. And if you don't have opinions, say you don't have one, say you're not sure. Don't lie and and make stuff up. Cause that's, you gotta be able to defend your position. But, um,
1: I think yeah. what it comes down to is just being authentic just being your authentic self, right? Like if you feel something, say it always, like you have to blend what you believe in and really feel ultimately, right? Uh, Understanding how to empathize, be compassionate, really deal with other people, right? Deal with feelings and emotions that are always floating around. And it's like anything else, right? When it comes down to it, you know, if you have conviction about something, as long as you're not Kind of an ass about it, like that, and I think there are a lot of people that have conviction and are ultimately asses, and that's why they just kind of get weeded out, pushed aside. Because you have to be able to interact and engage and work with other people. Um, so, yeah, I always err on the side of people first, um, which I think has suited me pretty well in the past. But yeah, I mean, yeah, put out a hand, help somebody out, yep, try to. Be there for people when you can.
0: Yep. So. Having code experience is good. Being able to speak Spanish is good. Being able to provide value is ultimately what's best. Sometimes that means coding. That some, sometimes that means speaking Spanish. Um, ultimately making players better and being able to communicate and being able to to do that is a good thing. Like, I like to think that teams are trying to win. I, I like to think that that's the, the point of this whole thing is you're trying to help people get better and help teams win. So there's a lot of ways to contribute to that. To so do that, understand it's it's tough. It's uh, <clears throat> I think it's really hard to like understand yourself in a lot of ways, and like understand who you are and understand like objectively where you fit into things. Um. So if you're not sure. Like, ask other people. Like, ask somebody that that you that you trust and and know and feel like if they know you, ask them to tell you like, hey, what do you got on me? Like, where, where do you see me fitting into all this? Like, I would have told Nick the role that he's in. I would have told him that's exactly where he should have been in. Like, he he loves yeah. like he would do side projects and like try to find value in data. Like, he would go out of his way and just not because somebody told him to, because that's what he likes. He likes looking at the numbers. He likes finding things that are non-traditional
1: yeah
0: like so putting himself in a role where he gets to like ingest a whole bunch of data get all of this like you know he's going to get fed data from many 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 places and he gets to like like soak in it he gets to like be in that data so he's going to have this baseline and then he's going to be able to probe within that and and search and, and discover things in that i think that's like perfectly a sweet spot and he's on time he's he's diligent he's Good person. So, like, you give him, you give them access to all this data, and and have them like do specific things with it, and then give them the permission to find value. Like, that's that's exactly what I was said he should be doing. So it's great. It's great. Um, last topic: Joe Mauer, Hall of Famer. First question: What do you got on that? And second question: Do you have any cool Joe Mauer stories? You're a teammate. What do you got on my
1: favorite Joe Mauer story was. Joe? Uh, Joe's like as cool as he the other side of the pillow, right? Never, never like rattled. Never really gets upset by anything. Never just kind of always the same, right? Um, Is it like an all
0: shucks Minnesota type he, thing?
1: Yeah, it's very, he's got that Minnesota nice, it's just pretty quiet. Like, not really going to address you unless you address him. He'll always say hello and be polite. Um, wonderful hitter, right? Creative brain understands hitting at like a deep level in terms of leveraging what he's good at. Right. I think if there's one thing I could say about Joe Mauer, he's really good at what he's good at. Um, it begs the question, right? Is he a first ballot hall of famer? Blah, blah, blah. We'll get into that in a minute. Um, my cool, my coolest Mauer story was it's my first year in the big leagues and I've just, I've known this guy for, you know, whatever couple months and he's always the same, right? He would sit in the dugout very like, you do even sat Joe Maurer, like he just sat there with his hands on his knees and kind of under control. And then he made an out in Milwaukee one night and he went into the, there's like this little back room where all the bat racks are behind the dugout. And he just walked in there after he made an out you wouldn't have known anything was different. And he destroyed a bat in that back room, like just obliterated it, right? Like just was slamming stuff. Nobody walked back there. At some point he took his helmet off after he did that, but you could hear it all going on and I would have loved to have seen that version. But then as soon as he was done, like 11 seconds later, he just walked out in the dugout and sat down and put both his hands on his knees and just, you would never thought it was any different. And you know, that awe shucks version of him, but there was, there was definitely a competitor in there and a warrior. Um, You know, the whole argument goes back to Eddie he stayed a catcher his whole career. I mean, let's be clear. Like, he was a really, really good hitter, and he could do things. And he was a great catcher, too, at the time. Um, Once he had the concussion problems, like, things kind of went sideways for him. And I think, you know, again, normal stuff that happens. The thing that I would beg the question, right, and this is why I don't like the way the Hall of Fame is set up, like if the ballot looked different, if there were different names on it, would Joe would Joe have been a, a first ballot guy, right? And I think that's the question everybody's trying to answer. What I don't really understand is why you have to get X percent of the vote to stay on the ballot. Why like why why are we not choosing from a bigger pool every year? Like why why is it you've got to be out of the league for five years to get on the ballot, and then you have to have I've had 10 years and, and then if you don't get X percent, we're just going to, we're going to narrow the field, right? Where if this was a bigger pool and there were more guys that were hall of fame caliber players, Joe was probably not a first ballot guy. So a lot of it is luck of the draw. Like what, what, when did you, when did you retire? Like, I I couldn't even name a player from the sixties right now or fifties that was really, really good that maybe got kicked off the ballot after his 10th year or whatever um but what like why wouldn't that player still be eligible for the hall by traditional media voting right and if that was the case i think you could make the argument that there were there were other players that were better suited because everybody tries to go t- to go ballot to ballot right like like mike piazza not a first ballot hall of famer is that right he's not a first ballot hall of famer joe mauer is that's a weird it's a weird thing to say out loud. Mike Piazza is the best hand catcher of all time. It's not close, right? It's a weird thing to say out loud. I think. From perspective.
0: Yeah, Joe Mauer was a. I mean, he was a good hitter, but didn't hit for power. He had 143 career homers. It was like he had one year with 28, but otherwise, like he, on first career, he probably averaged 10 a year, roughly. 306 average. Like he was very. Yeah. He was a good hitter. Would not have been particularly valued in today's game. He'd almost be like an Arias type. Uh, Mike Piazza was uh, almost the same number of hits. 2,100 hits versus 2,100 hits. So Mike Piazza had a couple more hits, like 50 more hits. He had 400 and some odd homers. 427 homers. 308 average. So it's the same career batting average. He had Mike Piazza had a higher batting average, and Mike Piazza almost got penalized because he was a catcher, because he wasn't a great defensive catcher. So the guy, if he was playing first base his whole career, he's going probably has um, more homers because his legs are probably fresher, probably hits better, and yeah, not a first ballot guy. It's just a weird. It's a weird dynamic. I, I if yeah, you're on the ballot I, I just, for ten years and you don't get in, I feel like you've had your chance. But to your point, so like Mauer was very liked. he he didn't ruffle feathers. he was
1: stayed in one place his whole career all those things right But why like we, we were' it's the, the the ballot is too selective like the, the people voting for the ballot are too subjective about what they make matter and what they don't and because at the end of the day, this is like what I always say to people, everything is subjective, whether you want it to be or not, right? There's no perfect way to be truly objective unless literally we're we're just building formulas and data that that really fit into objectivity. But in this case, when you have humans involved, there's subjectivity to it. So like, oh, well, we're not gonna let this guy in the Hall of Fame because we think (laughs) he did this, or we believe that he did this, or our perception of his character is this. So again, Like I would circle back and say, what, like, why to your point, Bobby, if you've been on the ballot for a long time and you, and you don't reach X amount of, of, of interest sure, like you can come off. But I always wonder like, like what would Joe Maurer in the same hall of fame voting pool as like, if you had Joe, Joe Maurer and Mike Piazza on the same ballot and they were both going in their first year on the ballot like would 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 joe get in and mike wouldn't is that like so it, it again so much of it is timing based like when did you retire when did you do this when did you do that and then ultimately does it really matter if you're a first ballot hall of famer or a fourth ballot hall of fam- does that even make a difference people want to make a big deal out of it i don't think players ultimately care um and frankly i don't think a lot of players start their career saying that that you know they want to be hall of famers they they want to have successful careers like i i, I really don't as much of an honor as it is to be thought of that way, I don't think anybody starts their career going, I'm, I'm going to be in the Hall of Fame. Like, I think you, you think I just want to be the best player I can
0: be. Well, you got, so, you got guys like Mario and Rivera not being unanimous. It's like, dude, he's a Hall of he's, who? How do you not vote for that guy? So the whole yeah. process is, is yeah. weird right now, and then you have like Major League yeah. Baseball put up a tweet the other day about like Barry Bonds, the best player of all time, like arguably the best, and he's not in the Hall of Fame. It's like what, are, because it's 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 kind of becoming it, a mockery because it's not it's not doing what it's supposed to do. The things that are obvious. That's
1: like- also why they opened up. That's why they opened up the the, the second dairy version of the Hall of Fame, right? Like the you the players vote or whatever it is. Like like Tonyo got in the Hall of Fame that way. Like they there's it was necessary because you've you've created a subsection of people who literally are in charge of the vote. And if those players got offended by the guy, there are, they're always going to be predisposed to not vote for him. Right. And it should that criteria matter in voting. And again, it's, it's a tough thing, right? Like I, I, is Joe a hall of famer? Yeah. Like, I mean, I think it's, it's hard for me to say yes or no to that. I don't, I don't, he's a really good player, really, really good player, like generationally best catcher in the game in the 2000s. Right. I I played with him when he was on the tail end of, you know, what what turned out to be, you know, the last three to four years of his career post injury, um, or post concussion, I should say, and like, you know, I I only saw a glimpse into how good he was. Um, I imagine the years he hit three thirty and three sixty and whatever he hit, pretty cool to watch because. Stupid good. So.
0: Joe Maurer, Rawlings unfinished thick grain bats.
1: Yeah, big stick. Rawlings big stick. Thick grain, bat. the thickest of Over. grains. Ash,
0: no maple for that guy. I just,
1: I just love that he wore size thirteens, and I could go in the. In the equipment room, and I was a Nike guy, so I could wear all his shoes that he had from years before. And there were a lot of them, let me tell you.
0: How's that work? He's just got a bunch of shoes in the equipment room, and they're like, Oh, my do you God. have to ask so for that? Many.
1: How's so that work? Joe would be like, What size are you? Oh, yeah, <laughs> a bunch of shoes back there. Go take whatever you want. It's like, I'm not wearing He's them. got too
0: many to worry about.
1: Literally 50 boxes of Nikes minimum, like that were just Joe's. Did Joe Maurer seven? Cleats, you just go take them. All my all my clips in Minnesota were not my cleats. Like not, I would just wore Joe's shoes. Good. I had my own a couple times, with that. I only get to stock Nike stuff.
0: Good. That's pretty cool. To wear Joe Mikey cleats. Anytime you're wearing some studs cleats, that's what's that story about Kobe? That Jordan's like you can wear the shoes, and then Kobe came and just dominated him the next night. That's how yeah, you know. But that's Co- how you Kobe, know you got something.
1: There do. was a story. Uh somebody was telling a story on a podcast the other day that Kobe wouldn't let people wear his shoes after they played bad. It's like y'all y'all can't wear my shoes. Get that shit out of here. <laughs> it's funny.
0: Imagine if you had like some big group chat and he's like thumbs up or thumbs down for each player. Like you're you're off the list. You're out.
1: <laughs> yeah, he would have done it. You know? That's great. Anyway. All right, that's it. On that note, Pickles back, but Pickle's Out!